Hello, my name is Rodrigo. This is another one of our Ether Talks. For those of you who listen to our podcast, this is, a, a, I guess, another podcast segment that exists outside of our regular series in which we bring somebody on to talk to us about a typical topic that they feel passionate about. And today we have the great privilege of having Keith Winship from the Clemson Foothills Church. Uh, he is the leader of that church, and uh, he is a red-headed wonder And we have him here on in his red-headed glory. And uh, Keith is a good friend of mine. And we always have very good conversations, Keith. And uh, today we are talking about uh, gospel-centered discipleship. And I'm super excited about this conversation. And as always, let me begin by asking you, Keith, what got you passionate about this particular topic? Right, yeah. Well, first, thanks, Rodrigo, for having me on. I really do appreciate this. This is going to be a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to it. And and uh, and I feel like where this came from, for me, uh, this is just very personal. Um, you know, I, I think I spent a number of years um, feeling really great about knowing everything. And I know that sounds silly, and I know that I would even tell you that um, I didn't know everything, maybe informatively, maybe the information I had, I didn't know everything. But I felt like life as a disciple, I, I really had felt very comfortable. I felt very comfortable as a teacher and as an evangelist. Um, and then it's like, you know, God just shakes you sometimes, mm. you know, and, and he really did that a few years ago, um, went and went to a particular conference actually, and really was, I think more than anything, I was just really taken by surprise, just how really arrogant my thinking was. <laughs> and it made me, it made me look at, uh, at this topic of gospel centered discipleship. And, and I came to a really, um, kind of, a, kind of a moving, um, you know, thought pattern, which was, you know, I know a lot of words in the Bible, um, but they really have become words mm. rather than really deeply like embedding themselves in my heart. And so that was kind of the genesis of all this. Um, and so it's been, I feel like I've been kind of like my own lab rat along with a few other people. I mean, you definitely are one of those guys and, right. you know, th these different, these different fellas around, uh, where we live and, um, Uh, and, and so I feel like it's just been a little bit of a two to three year kind of lab project of challenging my heart on, am I a gospel centered disciple? So I think one of the, um, I think one of the realizations, and I think this is good. And I think this is part of what you're talking about. I think one of the, one of the things that you're talking about is challenging some of the, uh, I guess, agreed notions that we have about discipleship and what it's supposed to be. And right. so like, what do you think those are? Like, what do you feel are the things that you really had to challenge? And was like, yeah. I'm, I don't know if this is actually it. Yes. Right. No. So, um, th there are actually a few things, you know, that I had journaled and written out and thought about. And, and it's really interesting because over the years I've talked to a lot of different people and not just, not just, uh, people who I know, but just in random conversations, just asking people these questions. And, and it's really funny. I feel like I had developed this hybrid model of what the gospel was <laughs> and about what discipleship was and, and all that kind of stuff. And that really, it came down to, for me personally, about four areas that I saw kind of coming out through that. One was that um, to me, discipleship became really about if I follow Jesus, he's going to give me good things. Mm. 
Um, and, and what became frustrating about that was when I didn't get good things, I would think, what's wrong with Jesus? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so that was a core part of my gospel. Now, I, one of the things I want to be clear about, too, is um, this isn't a product of somebody sitting me down and teaching me a false gospel. Um, this isn't like, man, I had so many bad teachers in my life and I had all these people that were filling my head with that. I think God really blessed me with a lot of amazing people. And this was a product of my own pride and my own sin that really created this. And I think everybody, it's really easy to fall into. So a lot of this stuff yeah. is just kind of for me personal, um, but I think everybody can kind of kind of move into that. So I don't definitely don't want to come across like I've been victimized by like some teachers that have, you know, <laughs> preyed on my heart. Not at all. I'm so grateful for all the men and women God has put in my life, but this is really a, a me and my sin kind of thing. Um, so really that was one of the first things I, I really saw. One of my core values was if I follow Jesus, he's going to give me good things. Um, and then I learned as I got older as a disciple, um, that the good things I wanted, I wanted them to kind of mesh with what he would want. And that way, maybe I'll get even more chance to get those things. Like for instance, if my church could grow, if I could help more people become disciples, if people could, you know, kind of fall down at my preaching and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, God wants that too. So certainly, and it just became this very kind of manipulative kind of relationship, you know, uh, secondly, you know, there's this idea of if I could just follow Jesus so he could like me, mm. you know, like, like I know he loves me. I read that. Right. Right. But right. There are a lot of times I can feel like, gosh, I just disappoint him, you know? And so if, if I can just do some things to get him to right, like, if I me. could just earn it. Right. That's exactly right. And, and you know, what's funny is, is we know, right. Not to say that word. Right. Right. We don't, we know, yeah. <laughs> we know but, but that's where I'm saying like really deep down, I was like, this is really what I'm trying to do. You know? And then the clear one is I, I want to follow Jesus. So I don't go to hell. Right. You know, that's like the simple one, no explanation needed. And then, you know, at different points of my life, really discipleship became just invite people out to church and help them become disciples. And that's all that matters. Mm. Um, and so it really, not that that isn't a part of the gospel, sure. um, but it really just became the only part of the gospel. And as I kind of looked through this more and more, I was like, man, this is really why I think kind of the words of Jesus have become so um, just kind of stale. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I feel like, um, and and I love when people do this, when, when they sort of uh, think and on paper, they put something that I feel like instinctively, instinctively a lot of us feel and uh, they sort of formalize a lot of these thoughts. Because I do feel like there's, there's this, uh, nobody necessarily thinks all these th things out loud and we sort of take them as assumptions. Right. But I feel like you see it a lot into sort of what we end up talking about or what gets talked about a lot uh, the most, if you will, like whether in fellowship or from the pulpit or even... Uh, you know, the, the, the lessons we put together. Like I remember at some point when I was in the ministry, um, I looked over the notes I had put together for like three or four of my, uh, classes that I used to do for, for the high school students I used to work with. And, uh, I, I was surprised myself cause I was like, this is basically the same lesson four times that I just, right. That I just right. sort of construed in the same thing. And I was like, Mm -hmm. What does that say about like what I what I feel is important? 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the one of the things, uh, again, these assumptions basically make us focus on something. And I think one of the biggest things, and I think you said it perfectly, is it makes us look at Jesus and think that he's just about one thing. And I feel like when you read the Gospels, he was such a complex, uh, well-rounded, complete individual that because right. we think that he's only about these things, we totally miss all the other stuff that he talks about. And I feel like even, um, you know, even uh, a lot of times in our in our church movement, for example, Matthew 28 is sort of the holy grail of scriptures. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is really funny is like we can make anything in, in, yes. <laughs> and take any topic and make it end on Matthew yeah. 28. Yes. And yes. even though, and don't get me wrong, the Great Commission is super important and it ought to be a great right. part of our lives, but it's not the only thing. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. I think ultimately what, uh, and I think this is part of what you're talking about, I feel like to a certain degree, this really makes uh, our discipleship uh, poor, I think is the best. Not in the right. sense that it's bad, but in the sense that we we miss out on, the, on so much of the richness that's in Scripture and that's mm-hmm. in, like, even mm-hmm. our what our lives are supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, you know, it's interesting because th- this sort of really ends up sort of shaping the way in which we look at the world. And I, th- and I know that this yeah. is part of what you want to talk about, sort of these worldviews. And so, so being stuck on these things, like how do you feel it makes us shape the way that we look at the world? Yeah, no, that's, that's really, that's really right. I mean, I think, like what what gets revealed to me over time, if you wanted to boil it down, which is really very, very simple, is as I was writing these things down, I really boiled down discipleship in Jesus. Um, it became about discipleship in me, right? At my core, as I was looking for Jesus to validate me, mm. right? I was looking for Jesus to make something of me. I was looking, and, and I think from the outside of most people would say, man, you're doing a good job. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong. You're not like living in this sin. You're not hiding things in the dark, but, but my, my core belief of who Jesus is, then it, it framed everything. Like you said, it it framed how I shared him with people. Right. So, so the people that I'm close to and the people I'm teaching all of a sudden, you know, my own worldview comes out and, and some of those little pieces of that worldview were, you know, much of my relationship with God started from a distance, if that makes sense. Meaning like, I felt like I was far from God and I needed to do things to get closer to him. Mm. And, uh, and, uh, one of the, um, one of the statements that really stuck out to me a few years ago was, um, a speaker, uh, Bill Hull said, uh, you know, one of the things, one of those, those statements that kind of hit me and it took quite a while was, uh, he said in Christ, um, you can never do anything, uh, to be, to to go farther away from Christ and you can never do anything to get closer to Christ. Mm. And I thought, wow, that doesn't, I mean, at first that doesn't even sound right to my ears. (laughs) Um, you know, and, and, and I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Right. listen, my life is about far and close. Like then I do things and, 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 and so it just became about me. It became about kind of this individuality, you know, it, it it just became this cycle. Like the way I viewed it it was, there was this common cycle I would get in, which is I would find myself yearning to be at a place of like spiritual peace. Mm. 
Um, and then something would go wrong. I would do something wrong. I would mess up. I would make a bad decision. I would hurt somebody. And then what, then what I would do is I would think now I need to do something to, to make that better, to get closer to God. Um, and then I, okay, what's that going to be? Is it going to be having some really great quiet times? Is it going to be confessing my sin? Is it going to be inviting people to church? Is it going to be just being extra nice and loving to people? What's that going to be? Um, and then whatever that, when I achieved that, then I felt quote unquote, felt closer to God. And the product of that wasn't the Holy spirit. The product of that was my pride. I felt like I had done the things to get myself close to God again. Right. Right. And that was just that cycle. And then I would live in that world until I did something again or fell short or, you know, thought about something I needed to do and then do something. And it was just this cycle of getting myself and it just kind of filled me with pride and then insecurity and pride and insecurity. And it was just like that cycle that became like what discipleship became for me. And I think for a lot of people, you know. Right. You know, it's, it's um, one of the things, and I think this is what you're touching on is, how do you feel like we get rid of, um, cause, cause I think even, I think this, let me backtrack a little bit. Cause I think this, this transaction happens and we never realize that it happens. Right. So on the one side we have grace and we know that we have it and we right. know it's free and we know that Jesus paid for it and we know that we don't deserve it. And we know that God's grace is, is good and everything. And on the other hand, on the other side, you have this, uh, idea of discipleship that can become very performance based and sort of, right almost neurotic in the sense of like, oh man, like I'm supposed to do this and I'm supposed to share my faith and I'm supposed to be growing and I'm supposed to do all these things. And we sort of confuse the fact that they're part of the same thing. Same, right. And so how do you feel like you reconcile that? How do you, how did you go from sort of like this, this pride and peace and like trying to earn it and this distance and all this stuff to sort of understanding that, they're part of the same. Right. Well, I, I had to go back and really figure out, am I actually defining certain terms the same way Jesus is defining them? Mm. And, uh, and I had, and there were a few, for me, there were a few key words. Number one was gospel was, what is that? What does that mean? If, if gospel centered discipleship is what I'm trying to like achieve here and what I see as I read the Bible, well, what is that? And it's really funny because that became kind of a question I'd ask lots of people. Most of them who proclaim to be Christians, I would ask them, what is the gospel? And it's right. really interesting because most people would would be able to give the rote answer of, well, Jesus is God sent, you know, his son to earth to save us. And he died for our sins and he rose again on the third day. And it, we kind of pat ourselves on the back for having the right answer. And, and, I, and I was, I felt the same way, right. except, except I was like, hold on a minute where's the power in this? Like there's supposed to be this power in the gospel of Jesus, you know, that they're proclaiming this gospel and I'm going, hold on, it can't just be knowing a right answer to something. Mm. And so I had to define it and look in terms of, hold on a minute, there's, there's even more to that than God sending his son for me individually to die for me and all of that. But it's this idea of, I started looking at Matthew four seventeen and Matthew four nineteen, where Jesus came to earth. And when he started his ministry, he, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Right. And I thought, you know, that right there, um, that is the, the gospel encapsulated. Mm. Right. And, and sometimes it's so I've always read that it's like, Oh gosh, repent. He's angry. You know, the kingdom's near meaning he's, he's going to try to throw you in hell, but you know, if he can get you to do some things, 
but this encapsulated gospel of it's not too late. That's the good news, right? Right. It's Keith. It's not too late. Rodrigo, whoever is not too late. I am here Mm. as the king. My kingdom is coming. Like everything you see around you isn't what matters. What matters is my kingdom. And so change the way you're thinking because it isn't too late and you can do that. Right. And so, so much of the gospel, it, it kind of switched from trying to know the right answer to seeing the gospel throughout the scriptures. I mean, virtually everything Jesus teaches, everything Paul writes about is saturated in the gospel. Right. And so that was the first thing I had to start reading the Bible differently. Right. I had to start looking at it and going, hold on a minute. The gospel is encapsulated in Matthew 4, 17, Matthew 4, 19, when he really defines discipleship, which has always been kind of this nebulous term when he asked people like, what is discipleship? Right. Well, to Jesus, discipleship was follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right. Right. And so it's this idea of, yeah, we're going to become his, his quote unquote interns, right? We're going to be his, <laughs> his, 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 he's going to be our, our guy that we follow around. And, and this is such great news because we don't deserve to follow him around. And not only that, but he's going to change us, right? It's not just going to be like the smartest and the best and all that. He's going to change us to engage in his very mission. Right. And you're going, and, and the more I read into that, and I thought that's gospel and discipleship encapsulated in two verses right there mm. that, that, that saturated throughout the entire Bible. Right. Is that so? I had to start like just defining those terms. Um, and I also had to, had to ask myself some hard questions because what was really difficult about changing my view and changing the way I think is, is there are a few questions I had written down that were, that were bothering me. Um, one of them was, um, uh, won't I just become apathetic? Yeah. Like if, if I get, like, I know people in my mind, this is what I'm thinking. Like I know people who are all about like gospel centered discipleship, right. quote unquote grace and all that kind of stuff. So, so essentially am I going to engage in something that's just going to make me apathetic? Right. Like when do I become Joe Olstein? Right. That's exactly right. And so <laughs> that was a question. Um, the other thought was, but isn't kind of the performance-based discipleship that I was really embracing, isn't that what gave me my edge spiritually? Mm. Oh, wow. Like that idea of I was always like, that's what gave me the motivation to repent. That's what gave me was that I could repent well. You know, and now am I going to lose my edge if all of a sudden I'm this kind of good news (laughs) Like, oh, it's good news, man. <laughs> Repent is, you know, kind of like, am I, am I just spinning like bad information to people, right? Um, the other one that really bothered me was, am I going to abandon God's expectations of me? Mm. Like, am I just going to lower the bar to where all of a sudden, and, and these were questions that, I, I mean, I'm thinking about and I'm like, wow, th- th- I have to figure this out, man. Right. Like, I've got to pray through these things. Am I going to stop taking sin seriously if I embrace this? <laughs> You know, um, am I going to stop sharing my faith? You know, um, all of these, all of these things. And, and I, and I had to really take time in each question to examine and to study out and to challenge, you know, is a gospel centered discipleship is this, this being saturated with the gospel. It, does the Bible teach that it'll make me apathetic? And then I started re- reading the Bible and I was like, man, this is what gave people zeal. Right. This is, this is where courage came from, was the gospel. This is where Paul became, you know, just this man of, of just powerful 
uh, proclamation of the gospel was because he embodied the gospel. He wasn't apathetic because of it, you know. Um, this is what the gospel gives us our edge. Right. So explain that a little bit more because because yeah. again I'm I'm with you and I'm a yeah. I'm a huge believer of what you're talking about. Yeah. But I do think that a lot of people listening going like like clearly Keith became went from like committed <laughs> disciple to hippie disciple. Hippie. Right? right. And so explain how how what that changes like explain how understanding the gospel yeah. makes you Maybe even like a, a more committed disciple, one that shares his yeah. faith more, one yes. that takes sin more seriously, one that really understands mm -hmm. the expectations that God has for you. Like, how how does that change? Yes, absolutely. So I'll give you a verse for me that really kind of helped. Um, actually, I'll give you a couple, but the first one that that really helped encapsulate things in my heart was Philippians one twenty seven. Was was conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Mm. And I realized I have used that, you know, man, how many times have we used that? Right, right. <laughs> you know? and, I'm, and I had to think to myself, I don't even know what that means. Right. Conduct <laughs> yourself in a manner. And then the more kind of over this journey and asking these questions and challenging my own kind of assumptions and all this kind of stuff, I started realizing what, what the gospel um, did to kind of ignite zeal in me was I started remembering something as I learned about the gospel, this entire good news of God from page one of the Bible to the last page of Revelation. When I really embodied that and it became the, like soaked into my heart, I realized every single thing I did, I could ask myself, is this worthy of that gospel? Mm. Right? And, and that literally answered every motivational question in my life. Like, would apathy be worthy of the gospel of Jesus? Right. Um, would taking sin, like not being serious about it, would that be worthy of the sacrifice and the wow, resurrection? Yeah. Would that be worthy of it? You know, you could take this into every realm. I mean, we could take this into dating, into marriage, into our workplace life. And if all I did was ask myself that, is, is this worthy of a God who lavished things into my life that I could never earn, that I could never get, that he continually lavishes grace into my life. Is how I'm treating people worthy of this gospel? Wow. Yeah. Right. And, and so that was like a really, that was a huge aspect. And then the piggybacking onto that, right. was John 13, 34, when Jesus said, you know, a new command I give you as I have loved you. So you must love others. Mm. And, and, I, and I had to go back and kind of write down, let me write down all the ways that Jesus has loved me in 45 years. How many ways? And there's no way I could ever finish that list. Right. But he commands me. He says, now this is how you treat people. And I thought, man, that's how you live a life worthy of the gospel right there. And, and, and that became just like, um, I don't know what the best word for it. I mean, just fire. You know, I mean, that became so motivational. That became so, because I wasn't trying to get close to God. Right. Right. It, it was that idea of, man, I, I, my heart was honoring God. I, I felt like I loved him more deeply. I felt like my decisions were based around um, his glory and his might and his power. Um, and so um, that was really a starting point with Philippians 127 for me. No, dude, that's awesome. Because I, I think what you just explained right now, I think 
it is so funny that your answer, well, not funny. I think it's amazing actually that your answer is, is scripture. Cause I do, I do want to say this, cause I think a lot of what we're talking about and a lot of, um, sort of the problem that is created by having these worldviews that are that are not accurate, let's say. Right. Yeah. But I think what they're not accurate to is scripture. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that we have to understand is that I think what gets us out of these very humanistic worldviews has to be the Bible. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be right. like actually what the Bible says as opposed to what we think it says. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. you know, I, I, I do think... Um, that there's this dynamic, and it's funny you, you brought up Philippians, because in Philippians 1 as well, earlier in the chapter, uh, Paul says something that I always find very interesting, in that in, in, on the one hand, he says that, hey, uh, I think of you, and I know that God is going to finish the work that he started, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. that he's going to make you perfect on the last mm-hmm. day, or something along those lines. I'm sort of paraphrasing. Yeah. But basically yeah. that, that we are going to be perfected when the kingdom of God finally comes fully right and on that same like literally two verses later he basically tells the philippians to make themselves holy to be ready for the day of christ and basically in a few verses he sort of alludes to two ideas on the one hand that we are going to be made complete perfect Mm -hmm. and god is going to do that and on the other hand that we're supposed to be working towards holiness exactly to be ready for that day Yes. And, and it's and it's interesting because Paul never isolates the one from the other. And I think for mm-hmm. us, it sort of traps us in like, oh, he's talking about both. And how can I be working towards this thing, but at the same time, it's going to happen? And I think I think what rec- what reconciles those two thoughts is the gospel. That's exactly right. And that the, because of the gospel, because Jesus died for our sins, we're we we've been the slate's been cleared. Right, and now we have access to this kingdom, mm-hmm. but we're still here. That's right. You know what I mean? And while we're yeah. here, like we're supposed to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, like that thing that that transformed us, right? right? Like we're supposed to live up to that. Yeah. And so that's why we do what we do. And and you know, it's funny. It took me years to understand this, uh, but there was when I was in college. Um, I had a really, I, I took a bunch of religion classes because there was this professor, that uh, Dr. Larson, um, who is by far one of the best educators I've ever had. In, he was an amazing teacher. Like, forget the, the, the subject matter. Like, he was just a great uh, educator. And uh, in one of our classes, he did sort of an exposition of Galatians 5. Uh, and one of the things that he said was that the premise of Galatians 5 is that Christianity is a lawless religion. And when he said that, I was like, how dare you? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so and it wasn't right. until years later, because I totally dismissed <laughs> what he said. It wasn't until years later that I was like, no. Dr. Larson was right. Like the, yeah. Christianity is supposed yeah. to be a lawless religion yeah. because it's not, we don't, we don't. And, and again, I'm probably, this is going to be shocking to the people that are listening to this. Like we don't have, like, we're not liable to the 10 commandments. Like, yes, the 10 commandments sort of give us a, a bar for what morality is supposed to be, but like, we're not supposed to live up to the 10 commandments. We're supposed to live up to the gospel 
And basically what his point was is like the idea of living to, to living up to the gospel as opposed to the law is that the gospel is so much loftier and it's so beyond just like rules and regulations that that's supposed to make us more moral right. than just living up to the law. Like canceling the and again, this, this is going to sound completely unintuitive, taking the law out and putting the gospel in is supposed to make us kinder, more mm -hmm. loving, more yes. honest, more humble, more moral people than to just say like, hey, I have to live by these rules. Mm -hmm. And I think that, A, to me is like such a uh, freeing statement yeah. and a challenging one. And I think one that goes very much against the notion of what many of us would define as Christianity. Mm -hmm, for sure. You know, it's interesting, even today being election day, Yes. you know, we're voting on laws. And, and I think the world at large, or at least our nation, uh, we want laws to tell us how to treat people better. Right. We want laws to, <laughs> to ensure that everybody's going to be treated well. And we want laws that are going to keep bad things from happening. And it's really interesting because we've never seen in the history of civilization a law do that, right? I mean, nothing has changed your heart because, and, and, and I think sometimes as disciples, we can think, but man, if there was just more rules, right. we, would, we would do better as disciples. If there was more uh, boundary, if there was more, then, then we would do better, except that law doesn't change our heart. And, and, and that's why I love the simplicity of Jesus' teachings. Um, because, you know, you have James who, who tells us the, the law we do have to live up to is the royal law, which is love your neighbor as yourself, right? right? And Jesus, when he, when it, you know, to your point, what you're saying is in Matthew 22, when Jesus said, listen, the greatest command is to love, uh, your God, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second one is like it, love your neighbors yourself. All of the law hangs right. on this. All of it, everything is summed up in this one statement. And so we do see the teaching of Jesus um, going away from, um, which is a pretty common thing of, oh, so what you're saying is you mean that I can't do this and I can't do that and I need to do this and I need to love my enemy and I need to forgive and I need to reconcile. But when I put it in light of the gospel, um, it goes away from an I need to. And man, thank God I get to. Right. You, you just made me think of something that I think is really important to this conversation, right? Because I feel like uh, one of the things that we, that, that we don't automatically think about and is how insufficient sort of the alternative to the gospel is. And what made me think about it was just the whole, like, uh, uh, love your enemy as yourself or the whole concept of turning your cheek. Because, mm -hmm. dude, we, we will talk about honesty and we will talk about, like, not stealing and not murdering and all this stuff until like we're blue in the face. Mm -hmm. But man, like I, I think sort of these, this, this rule based stuff. I think one of the, one of the worst consequences of it is again, this is the insufficiency of it. Even when it comes from a morality standpoint, because it mm -hmm. makes sense, right? Sure. To not right. steal from somebody. It makes sense to not be violent against right. somebody. It doesn't make sense to turn the other cheek. It doesn't make sense love your enemy mm -mm. Mm -mm. unless you inject the gospel right. in the way in which you look at the world That's exactly like it just right. doesn't and again like i think it, it even if if you are seeking to be a moral person the and i think that this is what the the, the israelites showed us right that if that when yeah. you live lives just based on rules 
then your morality is just going to reach a threshold that cannot mm-hmm. uh, surpass the, the, the that doesn't doesn't go into the into the realm of being honorable or noble. Mm-hmm. That's right. Or sort of like these more sort of like nuanced moral things like kindness or being loving or or being mm-hmm. uh, compassionate or generous. You can't mm-hmm. achieve those things by just looking at rules and laws. That's right. And and I think that's important for us to understand for the people that are listening to this and, and going like I can't believe you're challenging me to just live my life by the gospel. I want rules. Like because I want to be a moral person. Understand, like, if that's the way that you want to live, you're going to live a very limited moral life. That's right. Because the sort of the, the higher, more noble things exist a little bit beyond the boundaries mm-hmm. of, of law. That's right. That's exactly right. And, I mean, I know, like I said, I mean, the, the evidence for me in, in your statement um, is I knew the condition of my heart because mm. of that because of trying to achieve that. I knew it. I, I knew that I could go through the motions and, and I don't even want to give the impression like I was just going through the motions. I, I love God. I love right. Jesus. I want to follow him. Right. But my entire motivational kind of discipleship model was about my performance and about me and about me getting things and all that kind of stuff. And to your point, it's exactly right. It's, it, it leads to a place of deep insufficiency. And then you kind of have to ask yourself a question like, okay, um, am I just going to fake it? you know, for the rest of my life (laughs) and not let anybody know about this. And thankfully, I don't think God just allows us to do that. Right. I mean, he he shakes us and and keeps giving us. And I know that for me, but, uh, but, but that's exactly right. I mean, this is where, you know, passion comes from. This is, you know, even if you think about what we do, you know, one of my, one of my questions to myself was, you know, well, well then, how do I rectify like all the things I have to do as a disciple? Right. I mean, you even think about things like having a quiet time. You're like, why would I get up early? Right. <laughs> to have a quiet time. And not that you have to get up early. I mean, you can do it whenever, obviously, but I'm just like, why would I sacrifice anything for a quiet time? Right. As you said, why would I forgive somebody? Uh, why wouldn't I retaliate? You know, why, why would I extend grace? Why would I let somebody get away with something? that I don't want them to get away with. Why, why would I do any of those things? And there's one simple answer is that Jesus has already performed that, lived that, injected that into my life a hundred times over, if not more. Right. Let me, let me ask you this question, and you may or may not be ready to. Actually, I have two questions for you. Yeah. And you may or may not be ready to answer these. Because I do think that it's uh, appropriate, Keith Winship, yeah. That uh, that you went through all of this, yeah. Uh, as somebody who leads a church, yeah. And so let me ask you this: like, say for, for the person that's that's listening to this, right, and say that they are also a church leader, and yeah. they're listening to this, like they're like, oh man, I've been waiting to hear this, and yeah. this is exactly what I needed. Mm-hmm. This person is now going to be left with the question of like, how do I communicate this? Because mm-hmm. I think. And I don't know if I don't think that you mentioned this, but I would assume that sort of coming to the Israelization changed a lot of things in your life, and maybe even to the point in which the way you, that you lead, the way mm-hmm. that you preach, sort of the way in which like you want your church to go. Mm-hmm. And so, how say somebody listens to this and goes like, "Man, like I really want to make this change." Mm-hmm. A, how would you say a person needs to go about that, right? Because we're literally talking about repentance like literally changing the way in which we look at the world yeah right and sort of the consequences that that has in 
the way you lead and the way that you even expect things from people. Yeah. So talk a little bit more like on a personal, like, mm -hmm. tell me like, these are the things that have changed since I've sort of yeah. come to this. Yeah. Yeah. So first and foremost, I think, you know, my first thought is probably your first thought is probably most people's first thought. If you're in ministry, which is the idea of, okay, well, how do I now start teaching this to people? Right. Well, yeah, that was one of my first thoughts. Yeah. And that's, that's the wrong, that's where I always started. And that's the wrong place to start. Ooh, because, because, it, <laughs> because the thing is, is, is this has to be real in my life. Mm. This can't be a program. Like the gospel isn't a church program. It's not a, you know, and again, this is, these are the things that, I mean, slower is better. I think, you know, thank, thank God for his grace. Keith we Wisham, to, like, you're just rocking ideas. people's worlds left and right. People wanted a swift and abrupt turnaround, Keith right, Winship. Right. It's, it, it's got to be real. It's got to be, um, it's taken a lot, a long time. It's still a process. I'm not, I'm, you know, even as we're talking, it's not like, man, I've reached the pinnacle of this perfectly. This is a journey, um, but it's a really vibrant journey too, you know, and it had to start out with me realizing that, hold on a minute, this isn't, because my first instinct as a self-centered performance-based disciple in many cases was, okay, this is going to grow my church. Uh, <laughs> right. Do you see the problem with that? Right, right. No, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, no, no. This is going to be the answer that's going to make me great. <laughs> this is going to be the, and, and, and now in my mind, I mean, that's very unvarnished. In my mind, obviously I'm thinking much spiritually. I'm thinking, oh, more people are going to come to Jesus. Right. 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 When, when deep down it's like, but, but that means, that means people might say good things about me. Mm. Right. And that's really what I want deep down. Right. And so I kind of had to fight that and realize this isn't a program. Um, Jesus didn't treat this as a program. This is the essentially his teachings of his guys for three years was being saturated in the gospel. Wow. Uh, and, and understanding that and, and understanding how that applies. So it became like an everyday, like a lab, right? Like every day I had to read my Bible with new eyes. Like I had to examine, like, where is the gospel in what I'm reading? All right. Wow, yeah. And then I had to then I had to go out into the world. And how does this interface into the world? Like how do I approach this in the world? But then the other side of it is this this kind of part that we haven't even really talked about is um praying for uh, it really like my I think my prayer life had to had to have a complete humility overhaul. You know, which my prayer life for 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 many many years was me presenting my request to God of what I wanted him to do for me. Right. And I had to change it in one way. This was, this was the thing I think that, that sticks in my mind more than anything is praying each day in, in every circumstance, father, help, just, just allow me to join you in your work. Mm. Just let me join you because my first starting place was God wasn't working in people's lives until I got there. Okay. <laughs> and so the minute I realized that, hold on a minute, God is working. Please let me join you. Right. Let, let me be useful to you. Okay. And that prayer was a game changer, mm. you know, in terms of how do you slowly, you know, kind of, kind of reanimate, how did I reanimate kind of my spirit with the gospel, you know, was that question and reading the Bible, just it, I was constantly looking for inferred gospel messages, you know, like, oh man, Jesus taught this. That's about the gospel. You know, that's about, wow, man, he did that. You know, it's, it's, it's Titus too. And the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And I'm right. like, oh, that's, that's always great. 
except I never knew what it meant. Right. <laughs> you know, and now I'm like, oh, he's talking about the gospel, man. <laughs> you know, uh, so that was really, um, it was a daily slow and continues to be kind of a slow transformation. And my temptation, honestly, my temptation is um, just to abandon ship oftentimes, you know, because I think, man, this is too slow. And am I, you know, am I not? being who I need to be. And, and, and then I look at the fruit of my life is so different. And I truly, I feel like the past probably two or three years, I've enjoyed being a disciple more than I probably ever have. Mm. Um, and, and, and I feel like that's been something that's, that's been very fruitful in my life and in my family and in my kids. Um, and comparing that to before that, right. Um, I was really bitter, man. I was really had some hidden anger and some hidden just kind of frustration <laughs> and and just kind of like, why isn't God showing up for me? Kind of a spoiled brat, right? And so anyway, that's kind of, you know, it's is there like a magic bullet to all this? No, I mean, it's a journey. It's not a church program. But what ended up happening is, is my preaching, teaching, even my fellowship with brothers and sisters became flavored in the gospel. Mm. And so it wasn't like a program, um, but it changed little by little how I interacted and helped people. Right. And I think, you know, uh, Keith, because I think what you just said, I think people would be tempted to, to think that there'd be no fruit in, in that, that you're going to saturate your life with the gospel, mm-hmm. and that's not going to bring as much results as like working really hard and being like triple committed, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. what I mean. But in re- but yeah. but that is crazy. Like to to yeah. think that, and I'm I don't know trying to like insult anybody or anything, right. right? But I think to a certain degree, like when you really think about that thought, like how how go, how would going slowly and just trying to saturate my conversations, my preaching, my life with the gospel, how could that possibly sort of like bear more fruit? than just mm-hmm. like being performance oriented. Like mm-hmm. w- if you really sit down to think and analyze mm-hmm. that thought, you realize that it's completely the opposite. Like how could mm-hmm. we possibly think that mm-hmm. just working hard and like doing all this stuff is better mm-hmm. than what God has been working on to accomplish for thousands of years. Like right. literally from the moment the Bible starts, to the moment it ends, like this is what God is trying to do to bring this yeah. gospel into the world and for it to be sort of at the forefront of our minds. And I think that is to me one of the biggest, uh, I think to anybody that's listening to this, I think it, what I would challenge him with is to really think of that, to really make that, that, that mm-hmm. change in their thought that, again, saturating our life with the gospel can could be possibly the most effective thing that we ever do. And how mm-hmm. crazy it is to think that we don't necessarily think that that would be true. Right. And, right. and I think again, like I think to, to cause as, as you were saying, like, Hey, this is not a program. And this cause, cause again, like I was, I was, what I was waiting for you to say is like, well, this is what I've since changed at my church and how we've restructured <laughs> things. And this is, and when you did it, I was like, man, I'm, I'm floored. And I'm sure the people that are listening to this are floored mm-hmm. because that is so much sort of the next step we think of, of like, mm-hmm. and for you to say like, no, man, I've taken it slowly and I've just really tried to 
figure out how like this really changes my personal life and my personal life with with God and my motivations and all this stuff. But I think it, and as I was thinking that, as I was listening to you, it's like how how crazy is it for me to think that a program would be better than just this man living his life by the gospel. And I think yeah. like even though you've not made it into a program, I think. I would be surprised if I asked people at your church if they don't feel like you've become a better leader, a better person, a better brother, better husband, better parent, better whatever, if because you sort of made this change. And I'm sure they would all say, like, yeah, man, I like Keith a lot more than I did before because now he's more compassionate, more uh, gracious, more loving dude because he's saturated, saturated his life with the gospel. And I think, you know, I think in a big sense, that's a lot of what we're talking about here. It's like it, the, the start of abandoning the things that we, to one degree or another, have, have a, arrived at the conclusion that work for something that seems so nebulous as what we're talking about, I think mm-hmm. is really scary for people. It is. And yeah. in, in many ways, I think it really lies at the core of like, how much do we trust God? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, cause, for sure. Yeah. Because I was even having the conversation of, uh, if we were to measure sort of by our standards, uh, Jesus's success in his ministry, mm-hmm. like at some point the man is followed by thousands, right? And then that shrinks to a few hundred people. Like if we were to sort of evaluate Jesus by what he did, we'd go like, oh man, let's fire this guy. Yeah, right. That's exactly right. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, and that's the thing. I think that it, in kind of contemporary Christianity, we have, I have, it, it's not that hard to make converts right? Uh, it's not that hard to get somebody and to find people. I mean, every business does this, right. fraternities do this, sororities do this, you know, but Jesus said to make disciples. Mm. And that's very different, right? And that, and that is a little bit of a slower process at times. Sometimes it's a faster process. But, but I will say this, though, too, is as I've, as, as I've been trying to really repent and to change and to follow in, in this gospel-centered discipleship, you know, it isn't really good news for everyone. You know, and it's, it, it is that idea of, I think there, there are a number of people that would say, yeah, this is, I've really seen this in you. It's helped me. And, you know, there's also people that react in the way that I would have reacted probably four or five years ago, which is just kind of like a little bit defensive and angry and kind of offended um, by this because I, I had such a pragmatic view of discipleship was, man, if we could just sing the right songs on Sunday, more people would come and then they become disciples. You know, if we could just have, you know, it's this, this profound word on Sunday, then, then that's what is going to make a disciple. Well, no, I mean, a, a profound speaker can make some converts, but discipleship in Jesus is more than that. Right. Songs, songs don't make disciples, you know, uh, lighting doesn't make disciples, you know, these different kind of superficial things, but, but as we kind of approach this, so that's why I wanted to kind of say is it's not just like, you know, sunbeams from heaven, right? That everybody's just like, oh, wow, this is so great because now there's more gospel-centered discipleship. And in many cases, this becomes really jarring to, to some people, you know, and, um, and, and so it's just kind of that gentle pressure to continually go back to the word of God. Like you said earlier in our conversation is going back and challenging my my current beliefs as a disciple with what the word of God says, mm. you know, and, and in many ways it's really cool because, you know, you feel like a new disciple again, 
you know, and right. that's really, you know, we remember that when, when, when you're a new disciple, man, everything is exciting and fresh and fun. And, and it still can be, even after you've been a disciple for a long time, we just forget sometimes to challenge ourselves right? and challenge our hearts, you know? Yeah, man. Well, let me say this, cause this has been a, uh, an awesome conversation. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I want to thank you a lot for coming on and I really hope, uh, that this is something that, that people really, this resonates with them. Cause I feel like, I, I think ultimately we try to live lives. Like you said, that are worthy of the gospel and sort of understanding sort of the, the centerpiece that it's supposed to play in our lives, like ought to be, I think w one of the more important quests in our lives. And many times that's just not how we live. And I think, um, I'm really grateful for you coming on. I'm really grateful for, for God putting all these things in your heart. And, uh, and I really hope it makes a big different, big difference in the people who are listening to this. So thanks a lot for being on, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Rodrigo. I loved it, man. This is awesome. Really appreciate it. All right, man. Uh, for those of you listening, thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, if you want to get in touch with us, you want to give us some feedback on this here Ether Talk, you can do so by getting in touch with us uh, through social media at EtherMMC. Uh, also, uh, as we said always, this is a crowdfunded effort. And for those of you who support us, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And if you like what we do and you'd like to consider supporting us, you can go to patreon.com forward slash EtherMMC. And until the, until the next time, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you on the next one.